Hey, welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we look at life and theology from a different angle. This is going to be a weird one. It's going to be a fun one. I uh, try, will try so hard not to get myself in trouble, but no promises. I just want to look at what on earth is going on. What is going on? I've been, like, we haven't done this podcast in a month, and everybody has lost their minds. So, let's play our fun, cool music and get started. It's a beautiful Monday in my office. The rain just started to pour outside, and uh, we're going to try to make it rain up on her. I have no idea what that means. So, I haven't done a podcast in just a little over a month. I usually do one every month, but good gosh, the world has gone mad. What is going on? What have you guys done? What did you do while I was gone? Who did this? It sounds like me with my children when I come home. Who made this mess? Let's talk about that. Who made this mess? And it's both of us. It's, it's both of us. Both sides of the aisle. We're all responsible. What's caused it? What do we do? And I think that what do we do? How do we get back on track is the most important question because everybody's like, hey, the house is on fire. Yes, the house is on fire. Now, who's going to rebuild? So, where we are, we have high racial tensions, the crumbling of American ideology, highly divided groups, riots, threats against the church. And what are the roots of all this? So in any system, the moral and philosophical roots are the Bible of that movement, right? There's something at the bottom. If you dig and dig and dig, you find out, why does this person believe this? So in this world, we are seeing, and we should stand up, and we should demand justice wherever racism is found. That's good. Both sides share that morality, that racism is bad. We should be consistent in that. Both sides don't share in that. So for those on the more conservative side, they might be very vocal about abortion. Abortion kills more African Americans than any cop ever has. We entrust doctors for our health and safety, but yet there are doctors who are killing children. We entrust cops for protection and safety, but yet there have been moments where cops have killed African Americans unjustly. So we want justice. What I don't want to be is inconsistent. This is not an abortion podcast, but let's be honest. If you're an African American in New York, you are more likely to be killed in the womb than actually be born. That's a problem. That's a major problem. Uh, some might say, well, that's a socioeconomic problem. We got to change society. We got to do all that. Yes, we should be concerned about both things. We should be consistent. While we're talking about trying to be consistent, though, can we please stop killing kids? Can we also please stop shooting unarmed black people who aren't committing a crime? Could we please just stop shooting people in general? Can we do that? No, we can't. We, we try and we have different solutions to these problems. So what's going on? Well, let's look at both sides. What we're seeing coming in, not from the liberalism, but from the radical left, there is a difference. Somebody can be a Democrat and not be a radical left. That's okay, right? It's okay to be a Democrat. It's okay to be a Republican. Actually, I don't want to be either one. I think it's both kind of silly. Um, I don't want to pick sides as though one is more biblical than the other. One might give more lip service, but I have yet to see that one is, just by its nature, more biblical. 
So uh, on the far side, what we see coming into the culture right now is cultural Marxism. And I had to read a bunch of books on this subject. I had to read books on Karl Marx, racism, critical theory, critical race theory, uh, white guilt, all that stuff. I, I try to consume mass quantities from both sides. And here's what my understanding of what this movement is. And it's been going on for a while. And there have been people like Jordan Peterson who have been crying about this, not in a negative way, who've been crying out loud that there is something really wrong going on in universities. And so Marxism is evil and wrong. Marxism is a moral evil. Uh, Marxism wants to just create a, a vastly increased government power, and that was the key to liberating humanity. So that's Marxism. So glorifying command and control, that, that was their flip side to the demonizing of prices and profits. Now, prices and profits can be bad. A free market can be good. It can also be evil. It all depends on the people. So we look for moral responsibility and say, hey, don't be corrupt. Now, that would be the biblical morality. But we see without a biblical morality, capitalism goes off the rails. And some people collect all their money and other people go without who actually have need. So you have people getting close to being trillionaires and people who are dying from lack of food. The Bible says that there is an abundance for everybody. So if there's an abundance, then somebody is hoarding what should be going to other people. That's a problem. That's because we've removed Christian morality from the system that we have now, capitalism, right? And that's why some people say, well, capitalism is bad, so we need to control everything through a government. Well, that has never gone well, right? Right? 1932, Joseph Stalin, he decreed it was a death penalty for any theft of state property. Well, what belonged to the state? Everything. Everything belonged to the state. So if you steal bread because you're starving to death, death penalty. In fact, millions of Ukrainians were starving due to the brutal conditions of the farms and the collectivization of farms. So even children poaching a few ears of corn could be shot, and it happened. So this is what has always happened with Marxism. Marxism has never worked. But we are not talking about just Marxism. What we have is cultural Marxism. Some people don't like that name, so they call it critical theory. What is critical theory and how do we see it? Well, it comes from like Frankfurt School in Germany after World War II. Some scholars began to figure out how to apply Marxism in a, in a different way. So what it is, it creates those who are oppressors and those who are victims. Those are the two categories, and you fall into one or the other or both. So you are oppressing somebody, but you are also oppressed, and you can judge that scale in what has become critical race theory and uh, just critical theory in general. The more of a minority you are, the more you're oppressed. Even if no one is physically or literally oppressing you, the system itself oppresses you, and those who are higher up are a part of a system that is oppressive. So if you are a black uh, transgender female, you're one of the highest minorities, or the lowest minorities, I guess we should say. Therefore, you are the most oppressed, and anybody above you is your oppressor. Now, what it does to try to even the playing fields, it says that your truth as that minority is greater than anybody who is oppressive over you in any way. So whatever you say or do has more meaning and truth and merit just because of the race or gender or sexual um, category that you fall into, right? 
So whatever you fall into, your truth is therefore greater than anybody else because you've been silent for so long as somebody who's been oppressed. Now, oppression is wrong, but this system is wrong as well. Just A, the categorization feels kind of racist to me, right? Like, oh, you're oppressed. Well, I don't feel oppressed. No, you are. How do you know? The color of your skin, therefore you're oppressed. Or you're an oppressor. Well, how do you know? Well, the color of your skin, therefore you're an oppressor. That, that's, that, that has a kind of reverse racism to it, but I don't want to get caught up on that. That's not the big deal. But this system we see manifesting itself through our politics all the time. White males, shut up. Be quiet. Your voice doesn't matter. And I, I don't care what the color of your skin was. We should come together, and truth is truth. And your truth is not of greater value simply based upon where, when, or to what family you were born in. Truth is truth. So, um, so some of the places where we see this kind of coming in. We, we've said that Marxism is bad, but I was talking to my friend about Black Lives Matter. And not, not the movement, but the organization, because Christians should be, we should be at the forefront of speaking out against racism. There should be no hesitation about that. Christians, this is your area. This is what you're supposed to be doing. So don't get mad when other people do it because you weren't, right? Now, if your house is on fire and somebody comes and tells you your house is on fire, you don't care if they're a Marxist or not. And that's true, right? So if they're pointing out, hey, there's racism, we should be, thank you for letting us know the house is on fire. We weren't paying attention. But when it comes to who rebuilds the house, then we should think a little bit more critically. And Black Lives Matter say they are Marxist. So there's a part of me that says, thank you for helping us see where there was racism, where we weren't paying attention. Uh, but also, you can't build the house. We love you, but you can't build the house. You're a Marxist. And I, I, don't, I don't want a Marxist to build my house. I don't want the government to tell me what my house has to look like. That's what Marxism does. Look, I've been in countries shortly after communism has left. If you ever go to Budapest, Hungary, they have these public housings, and they're the most depressing buildings you can ever see. They all look the same because it's cheaper that way. Yes, they all had a home, but their quality of life was absolutely miserable. Depression, mass suicide, all the time, right? People were always throwing themselves in communism uh, in Hungary. They would throw themselves in front of the train especially during the winter. Things were just bad. Now, they, they had stuff. The government gave it to them, but it was not theirs, and they couldn't change it. So um, I don't want them to rebuild the house, but that doesn't mean I can't in some way be supportive of the movement as well. And we have become so hyper-focused on trying to keep out anything that looks leftish from the right and vice versa that we have a hard time recognizing what's good about each other. And there are good things about each other. But also, we are both hyper-focused. So for those, I, I, I support the blue. I got a lot of friends that are cops. One of my best friends a cop, right? So I support law enforcement. And I don't like when people say defund the police. In fact, uh, we should probably fund them more. Studies show that they only get a very, very small amount of training on how to deal with the PTSD that can come from that job, the stress that comes from that job. They maybe get a week, a year. Now, our military spends a lot more on helping people with these issues, but cops are kind of just seen as like, hey, um, good luck, and then they snap. Or they just hire crappy people. So not every instance of two people of color in an altercation where one should not 
be either locked up, injured, or killed by a police officer, it isn't automatically racist. He could just be a crappy dude, right? He could just be a horrible human being, and he wasn't thinking about the guy's race at all. But if your organization is bent on finding racism, it will find racism everywhere. And if you are conservative and you want to protect conservatism, then you will see everything as an enemy of conservatism and you will block it all out. So maybe we can say, and let's just be honest, that there are things that I like about both. My liberal friends, I love their care and compassion and wanting desire to help other people. I love that about them. Some of the most compassionate people I know fall to the left. And it's because they're compassionate and they say, hey, we want equal treatment for everybody. That's great. And Republicans, sometimes we say, well, equal treatment, but not equal outcome. And they're coming for your businesses. And we, we, get, we get awfully protective of our system. And I understand that. You ever seen a flat earther defend? Like he sees flat earth evidence everywhere. So that hyper-focus can blind us. So are we hyper-focused? Well, as a Christian, my goal is to be biblically focused. I am not conservative focused. I am not liberal focused. I'm not to the right or to the left. I want to be biblically focused. And so I want to bring up a few things that if the house is on fire, maybe we should throw some things in the fire, (laughs) right? If the house is on fire and it's going to burn, maybe we should look at both sides critically and say, yeah, if the house is fire, let's throw Planned Parenthood in the fire, but let's, let's also throw a profit before people in the fire. Let's do that. So to some degree, we talked about the moral foundation that's creeped into the left, that is cultural Marxism, and why it's dangerous. But there are some moral foundations that have creeped in on the right that are just as unbiblical. So yes, there are biblical principles built into America. I love America. I'm red, white, and blue through and through, right? But I'm a Christian, and my Christianity comes before my Americanism. So in some ways, it was built on the moral philosophies and principles that are reflective of a Judeo-Christian belief. But it's also adopted greed and coveting is healthy. It's adopted greed and coveting is healthy. That it's good to want the bigger car, whether you need it or not. And if you see your neighbor's car and you want it, and then you go out and you work really hard so you can have what he have, that's called coveting, Right? And it's also lifted up individualism to an unhealthy level. What do I mean by that? Well, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. That is not a biblical saying. That is an American saying. Uh, also, just straight up individualism. It's all about the individual. Well, Scripture says that you are not an independent being. You are actually dependent. Don't believe me? Make your own gravity. Make your own oxygen. All day, every day. You are created to be dependent upon God. And you are also not created to be alone. So you're meant to be with God in paradise with other people. And you've got your relationship with God back together, but you're at war with everybody else. Then I'd say you're missing out on something. There's also some other things. And let me just, this is a short podcast. I think we're, I think we're at nauseum, just the information on this subject. We're so tired of talking about it. So I I just want to ask a few questions. This is from Deuteronomy 17. They are going to get some land, and they are going to want to set up a king. They're going to want a ruler. And they only want a ruler because the other pagan nations around them had rulers. And they're like, look at these other kings. We want a king, God. God's like, I'm the king. Like, yeah, but 
We want one in person. They got one in person, right? We're, we're little children, and we want what they want. So you think you've grown, you ain't grown. We're still little children in the eyes of God who make little children decisions. So he says, okay, you can have a king. Here's what kind of king they need to be. And we're just going to ask some questions after we read this. This is Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold and silver. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his laws and all these statutes, and by doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brother, they might not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hard or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children Israel. So he says, but like, we're going to give him all this stuff, so why? So he doesn't turn to the right hand or to the left, which is what we're dealing with right now. Everybody's going to the left or to the right. So what were the protections to keep people from going to the left or the right? He says, when you have a king, he can't have a bunch of horses. Why not? What's wrong with having some horses? Well, what are horses in this context? Horses are military weapons. Horses and chariots are the tanks, right? They're the B-2 bombers. And God says, you just left Egypt where this massive army kept you enslaved. Now that you're free, here's a rule. Your king can't have a bunch of weapons laying around. And then he says, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Why can't you go back to Egypt? Well, you just escaped a military state. You just escaped that. Why would you go back? You know how bad that goes. You know what the end result of this military state is. Don't go back there now that you're free and say, hey, can we have some of your horses now? And then he says, don't take many wives. Why is that? Well, the taking of many wives was always done for political gain. And if you have a wife from a different country that you married just for like a political treaty, she has ownership now. And she's going to help you make decisions that take you away from God in order to play nice with others. So what does King Solomon do? King Solomon goes to Egypt, buys a whole bunch of horses, and then he marries somebody who's a relative to Pharaoh. So this is a couple generations afterwards, but can you imagine the people who get set free and how quickly they get accustomed to their life and they go, you know what, we want to be like Egypt. So Solomon becomes an arms dealer. He becomes the very thing he was not supposed to become, where he bought and sold weapons and traded with other nations and then made treaties with nations who did not love or respect God, and he did so through marriage. And for this marriage that he is, one of the things he gets for a wedding gift is a military base. 
And that military base is where we get the word Armageddon from, right? It was an actual town, and that's where we get Armageddon. It was a military stronghold. If you read the Old Testament, I love the Old Testament, the dream is that someday swords will be just uh, hammered into plows to work the garden. You're meant to be a gardener. Right? We go back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus, resur- you know, we were meant to be gardeners. Jesus, the first thing he does when he's resurrected, they mistake him for a gardener. Why? He's gardening. We're meant to be gardeners, not warriors. Now, I don't want to get into all the politics of, well, what about a just war? What about all that stuff, right? That's for another day. But our focus tends to be, and we tend to be silent and ignorant, and we tend to encourage people to vote for either party that disqualifies himself from this kind of leadership. So if I want to be biblical, I want to demand that our rulers not be rich. You can't be rich. Their king wasn't supposed to be this bazillionaire. And he couldn't have a bunch of weapons. And he should not be buying and selling and trading weapons. And he shouldn't, uh, it says that he must be their brother. He's supposed to be a believer in God. And he's supposed to study the law day and night. And then he goes to the priests. He's like, look, I, this, this book that I'm reading, it needs to be approved by the priest. There needs to be a group of believers who are saying either, yes, you're doing right or yes, you're doing wrong. And he's supposed to read it all the days of his life and that he should fear God by keeping all the words. There is nobody running for president right now that fits this. There's nobody. And so I don't want to attach myself to a political party that has not attached itself to the basic principles given to what God says a leader of his people should look like. We say, well, if we don't do, uh, we won't have all these weapons and other countries will destroy us. These are questions I'm thinking through. You're welcome to think through with me. But um, what about faith? What was it that was supposed to protect Israel? Yes, they did take up swords at times. But God is my shield, isn't he? He's my protector. I don't know. I don't know. This is where I get in trouble, where I just start rambling because I just think through things, and you all think this is how I think every day. Um, But I, I read this, and I just go, hmm, what should we do? What should we do? I don't know. When it comes to my political party, I'm a theocratic libertarian. Nobody is running that party. Maybe maybe one of you guys should run as a theocratic libertarian. What is a theocratic libertarian? It means I believe you should do whatever you want to do as long as you follow the commands and teachings of God. (laughs) I want a theocracy. I want God to be in charge. That's what heaven is. God is fully in charge. So, man, did I escape this conversation without uh, setting myself on fire? Yes, the house is on fire. Who rebuilds it? What is that going to look like? Thank you for pointing out the house is on fire, but I don't have to buy into all the rest of your ideologies. And I'm sorry that I was ignorant at times that the house was on fire. I'm sorry sometimes we haven't been as aware of racism as we should be, but not everything is racist. That's what systemic racism is, is that the entire system is racist, and the only way you fix that is if you destroy the entire system. Well, okay. I'm interested. (laughs) Like, okay, if we destroy the entire system, but what do we replace it with? I would like to replace it with a much more biblical principle that we tried to start with, that we have veered away from. 
So I'm not necessarily opposed to fixing this experiment. But I think we can fix it without destroying it. But that's only if every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So maybe a great revival is what we need. Maybe that'll happen. I have a very optimistic outlook on the future. If you don't want to know why, then check out the episode we did on post-millennialism. But, okay, so is there anything that you guys would like me to cover? Feel free to email me. You can find me at calebmore.tv. I am posting some videos on systematic theology on there and uh, talking about some different stuff. So, anyways, thank you guys. We'll talk to you later. See you next time.